And please turn to 1 John chapter 5. As you're turning, I've got a few announcements to personally make to you. I know Josh made some already, but some things I want to echo and also make you aware of. Um, as Josh mentioned, there, isn't any nurse, there aren't any nursery volunteers today, but there is a cry room available if you need that for you and your little one. Well, I'm guessing they'll be the ones crying, but um, that is up there in the corner. We'd ask you to just go in there, close the door. You can hear the message there uh, if you need that. So that's available to you. There just won't be any nursery volunteers there, so don't leave your children in there. Okay. Um, some of you may have heard, not sure if you did, but uh, a little over a week ago, Carlton Douglas died. Um, his wife Arlene had died just a couple months ago. You remember that. Uh, we're not sure yet about uh, what the family's going to decide to do in terms of a service. Will, will it be public, private? We're not sure. As we do know, we'll let you know. But please pray for the family of Carlton and Arlene Douglas. Also, within uh, the last 24 hours or so, Eric Day went to be with the Lord. Um, Eric usually sat right over there with Seely. Uh, so please pray for Seely, his wife, and Laurel, uh, who's also a member of our church and also the extended family beyond that. Um, there are other family members. Um, we're saddened for that and want to pray for them. Again, we'll, we'll let you know if, we, uh, if they determine to do a um, funeral for the church. So we'll, we'll make you aware of that as well. Uh, Celie had mentioned to Pastor Dave that uh, she'd love to attend the groundbreaking today because it's just a sign of new life, and she wanted to be there, so I thought that was well said, a great, great sentiment. Uh, also, um, we have a couple of visitors today. They, they left us a few, week, a few months ago, but they're here again. Byron and Mert, where are you guys? There you are. All right. Byron and Mert Tabbitt are here to be with us for the groundbreaking. They brought a little bit of Ohio with them, we see. Um, we're glad you guys are here. We miss you terribly, um, but we're glad you're here today. Uh, we are, again, as Josh said, doing the groundbreaking. I want to thank uh, the people who showed up early to help plow the, <laughs> the parking lots and showed up. Uh, they're over there at Trinity plowing <laughs> the parking lot for us. Just, it's just evident of what this church does. So many servants, so many people helping in a number of ways. So we're thankful to them. But we are planning on doing the groundbreaking. Do not put yourself in harm's way. If it's not wise for you to be there, we understand. Um, like Josh said, we do plan on doing some sort of kind of prayer dedication service even before the building is finished when there's just kind of walls and a roof. Uh, so that, that'll be a big event as well. And if it does snow, we'll at least be inside uh, on, on that day, whenever that would be. Uh, and finally, before we jump into the text, uh, we're nine years old today. Did you know that? Yeah, nine years old. It was the first Sunday in January 2015 where about 80 to 100 of us gathered uh, for what we called church planning boot camp. <laughs> Did six weeks of boot camp, organizing ministries, praying together, um, going through a couple, uh, a number of uh, key um, truths in terms of ecclesiology, doctrine of the church to understand. And then we formally started, I guess you could say, February 15, but this was the first Sunday that we uh, met together, the first Sunday in 2015. And I just think it's a great day for a groundbreaking for a new building. Uh, God is alive in this church. We're thankful for that. He's alive in this city, thankful for so many um, brothers and sisters in other churches that are proclaiming His Word, pointing people to Christ. So it's an exciting day today. All right, as you know, when I have long announcements before the sermon, none of it counts against the sermon time, okay? First uh, John 5, 1 to 12 is our text. Coming to the end of this wonderful book, I hope it's been encouraging to your soul. I hope that those of you that can sometimes struggle with assurance, am I really right with God? I hope that the truths expressed in this book have led you to have more assurance because of what God has said in His Word. This is a book of comfort, and I hope it's been that to you. Um, today will be uh, more of that, but uh, the plan is to go through 5, 1 to 12 today and then finish the book uh, next Sunday. So please follow along with me as I read 1 John 5, 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've entitled this message, The Victorious Possessor of Eternal Life. The Victorious Possessor of Eternal Life. That sounds almost superhero-like. That's what we are. That's what Christians are. Victorious possessors of eternal life. If I asked you the question, do you feel victorious? I think sometimes maybe too often, we'd answer that question by saying, no, I don't. I don't feel victorious when I look around me and see what's going on in my family, in this country, in the world. I don't feel victorious when I look inside of me and see the ways that I grieve the Spirit. I don't feel victorious. That's one of the reasons this book was written, to let the children of God know that they are victorious. It's written because they need to be convinced of this. We need to know what we have when we have Christ Jesus. We need to know what that means for us. So there are challenges to life. There are sicknesses. There are relational conflicts, fractures. There is even our own sin to deal with that can sometimes keep us from thinking about our union with Christ and what makes us victorious or more than conquerors, as Romans chapter 8 says. But brother or sister, if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you've been converted, changed, regenerated by Him, you are victorious whether you feel it or not. You are an overcomer, and this passage shows us how. This passage is meant to give you, again, surprise, surprise, assurance of your salvation, just where it is you stand with Him, what it means that you're His. John really kind of summarizes the book in these 12 verses. We've looked a lot at the fact that he's writing in light of a group of people that have left the church who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh, so they don't get Jesus theologically correct These people left the church. They don't have a pattern of loving the brothers and sisters in the church. There's a theological problem as it relates to Christ. There's a love problem. And obeying God's commands isn't a pattern in their life. They've left the church and people in the church are wondering, are we right with God? Because these people claim, they claim to be right with God. And so he's writing to a troubled church, trying to remind them, you are children of God. And he lays out his argument very carefully. We've been going through that. And in this passage, he kind of brings it all home. Each of those three realities are talked about in this passage. Getting Jesus right, believing in the right Jesus, loving your brothers, and obeying the commandments of God. And he's taking it for granted that the people he's talking to have done those things. Those are patterns in their life. So he's kind of wrapping up this this book 
with these, this last kind of exhortation to be assured of where you stand. You are a victorious conqueror in Christ Jesus. And then next week, as he closes out the letters, we're going to see something very encouraging about prayer and what it can do in the life of a struggling believer. So I'm excited for next week already, but today he's kind of wrapping up his argument about assurance of salvation. So I've given the outline in two parts here, two summarized reasons to know that you're a victorious possessor of eternal life. Two summarized reasons, he's kind of summarizing the book here, two summarized reasons to know that you're a victorious possessor of eternal life. And here's the first reason. Faith in Jesus means you've been changed by God. You should be excited about the fact that you believe that Jesus is who he is because that belief that you have is, a, is something given to you by God. You believed in Jesus, and God did just didn't, he didn't, didn't stop by changing your mind about Jesus. I now believe the right thing about Jesus, but he also changed your heart. So your belief and your love and obedience is all a work of God. That should give you some reassurance. You believe in the one that heaven has given, and you believed in the fact that he's given you a new life, new loves, new desires, new heart for people. He's done that in you. Make sure you know that. Make sure you see that. We so often focus on our faults and our failures, but look for the grace of God in your life, believer. He's at work. Faith in Jesus means you've been changed. See this in verses 1 through 5. The idea of belief or faith comes in verse 1 and verses 4 to 5. So there's kind of a faith-belief sandwich in this paragraph, all right? Now, in the Greek, the word faith and belief are the same Greek word. So when you see faith, think belief. And when you see belief, think faith, okay? But I'm going to show you this in verse 1. I'm going to show you this in verses 4 and 5. There's a faith-belief sandwich, okay? In the middle, he's going to talk about the place of love and obedience, all right, so look at 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Go down to verse 4. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the word, world. Our faith, our belief. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So one of the evidences that you've been born again is that you believe in the right Jesus. You know He's the Christ, the Messiah. You know He's the Son of God. You know He's come in the flesh. You know that. And it doesn't just stop there. Again, God didn't just transform your mind. He transformed your heart. And so we'll see that the one who believes in the Son of God also loves the brothers and also obeys the commandments of God. But belief means that you've been changed. You've believed You've been changed. Let that encourage you. Again, chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So there's the evidence. In John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. A good question to ask is, okay, how do I know when that happens? Here's one answer. Because you believe in Jesus Christ, the accurate, the right Jesus Christ. You believe in him from the heart. You know him to be your savior. You know him to be born in the flesh. You know him to be the son of God. You know those things about him. Your heart holds on to those things. That's a sign you've been born of God. In uh, the next verse, he now links, well, I'm sorry, going on in the second part of verse 1, he then links belief in God with love. When you believe in God, when he's given you the power to believe, regenerated your mind even to believe, he gives you with that another power. He doesn't just stop right there. He also gives you the power, the ability to love your brothers. So you believe in the right Jesus, and with that comes a changed life where you love Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him, whoever has been born of the Father. So everyone who loves God, the Father, because they've been regenerated to love, they've been given new life to love God, everyone who loves the Father also loves His kids. 
So please, as I mentioned before, don't ever say I love God, but don't love the church. That's the sign of unbelief. That's a sign of a dead heart. I'm not saying the church is always easy to love, but a Christian loves the bride of Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. This is just a reality. It doesn't say, and some people love the Father and love those born of the Father. Nope. Everyone who loves the Father loves those who've been born of Him. Sometimes in physical birth, we experience handicaps, right? We have a child and they've maybe got eight fingers or blindness or they're deaf or can't speak or, or something else. That's physical birth in a cursed world. That is a reminder that this world is not what it's supposed to be. There's a problem here, and Jesus one day will remedy that. But it's a reminder of the sin and the curse in the world. So we're reminded of things like that in physical birth. In spiritual birth, when God gives you new spiritual life, when you are born again, there aren't handicaps. So it's not as if you have belief in Jesus, but you're, you're kind of without love for other believers. No, that, that, that's not how I was born. I was born again to believe in Jesus, but I don't have love for my brothers and sisters. That proves you haven't been born from above. Now, I'm not saying that your fingers are all mature instantly. They're still little and need some help in loving the brothers and sisters, but they are there. The reality is there. When you're spiritually born, you're not born with handicaps. You've got maturity issues, but all the things are there. You believe the right Jesus, you love the body, you love the brothers and sisters, and you obey his commandments. Those are the patterns of your life. Again, maturity required, but those things are there. You know this, those of you born again, those of you who are Christians, you know about your desire to obey, your longing to obey. You can look back 20 years and say, man, he's grown me. I don't feel like I'm growing, kind of like you don't feel like you're growing physically. But then sometimes you are around someone and they say, man, you've changed in the last decade. Of course, God's given you that in your new birth. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So follow the logic there. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So we're adopted children who love our new Father, love God the Father, and He has given us commands to love our brothers and sisters. Okay, you're in my family now. You love me. Now you love them. Here's how you love them. And so we love our brothers and sisters, and we love God our Father, and we long to obey His commandments, which help us love the Father and love our brothers and sisters. It all goes together. That's how this works. For this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep His commandments. There's a love of God, there's a love for others, and there's a love to keep His commandments. And you know that when you keep God's commands, when you do what He says, obey His word, you know that it's a way to love Him and love others. When you are walking in obedience, you are loving other people well. When you're walking in obedience, you are loving God the Father. When you're walking in obedience, you're not grieving the Spirit. And these things all go together. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We now have the ability, the ability to obey from the heart because we've been reborn. And this is meant to encourage us. Now again, I've told you this. John does not assume, he does not assume in this book, that believers don't sin or that believers don't struggle with sin. He doesn't assume that. He reminds us of our forgiveness a number of times in this book. We've been through all that. 
He knows there's still the presence of sin, but He wants you to see you've believed. You do love the brothers. You obey His commands. That means something. Something's happened to you. Yes, you're not mature yet, which is why he says in chapter 3, when we see him, we'll be like him. We started now, but we see him, bam, it'll all happen perfectly. So don't be discouraged, believer. You're a child of God. These things have happened to you. Your faith in the right Jesus means you've been changed. There's a new you. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we obey, it's not bad or heavy. When we obey, there's freedom there. There's life there. We know that. We forgive someone who's been unkind. I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever done that. Of course you have. You're a believer. It might not always be easy. But when you do that, you know what it's like when you obey in the face of temptation? How good that feels? That's the idea here. His commandments are not burdensome. They're freeing. There's a joy when I obey. When I forgive someone who, humanly speaking, doesn't deserve it, there's, there's a certain life that that gives me. That's new. That, that's exciting. When God commands that for me, th- there's life with that command. There's a joy and a peace that comes with that command. It's against my flesh, and it shows that there's a new spirit in me. And there's a joy there. His commandments are not burdensome in that way. Now at this point, John's just giving us some stated facts, right? This is true of believers. They believe in the right Jesus. They love the brothers. They obey the commands of God. But I know, because I'm like you, that some of you are saying, yeah, but I don't think I'm doing that right now. I don't, I don't think you could look back at my last month and label that love for the brothers. You could label that grumpy with the brothers, frustrated, angered, embittered, whatever it might be, not wanting to help. Maybe, maybe that's you. And here's what I would say to you. If that's your way of life, you shouldn't have assurance. It's appropriate that you wouldn't if that's your way of life. But if that's just a weakness that you're going through and you're thinking, I know that's not right. And that's not normally me. I'm just struggling right here. Bring that to the Lord in confession. I'll read you again what we've gone back to so often. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go back there. Tell the Lord, I'm not loving your children like I should. Love others. John assumes, again in chapter 3, verse 18, that loving others will mean serving them. Not loving in word only, but in deed and truth. So love others by serving them. Love others by pursuing reconciliation with them. Those are really two of the big ways that love is talked about in the New Testament letters. Love in serving, meeting needs, and love in reconciling. We sometimes think joining a new church, moving to a new area, coming to a new group of believers. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to love these people six months down the line. Hmm. I don't know. I don't like how she said that thing to me in front of everyone at small group. I don't know how they didn't do this or that or, or how dare, whatever it is. We allow those things to be reasons not to love. The Bible doesn't. The Bible allows those to be opportunities to work at love, to earnestly love, to work at it, to strain toward it. And that's what the pattern is in the life of a believer. We're offended, there's something there, and we immediately go, Lord, please help me. Give me the strength to love. Give me the heart to love. That's what a believer does. 
An unbeliever writes them off. Pattern of their life. Not the believer. So if you're struggling to love, you're struggling to obey any of the commands of God, you're like every other Christian. But is that your way of life? I don't want to obey. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to love. Do not have assurance that you're right with God. But if you know, I know that's wrong. I bring that to the Lord. I ask Him for the strength. That is characteristic of spiritual life. That's a good sign. But again, he's assuming here that these things are true of the believer. Verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What makes you an overcomer of the world? You believe in Jesus, you've been changed by him. That's what makes you an overcomer. You believe in Jesus, the one that heaven has sent for salvation, and with that belief comes a new change of life. That is powerful. That that is different than the rest of the world. Listen, the world is dying, friend. You don't need me to remind you of that. The world is dying. Morals don't get better as time goes on. Romans 1 says, People just keep inventing new evils. I mean, we get, we get AI. Hey, that could really help in certain situations. Oh, we will corrupt that. We, we get new technologies. That will help. We'll corrupt it. The internet, what a great resource. We'll corrupt it. The world is dying. But listen, there is one group of people on the planet who are getting better, who are growing who are looking more like Adam and Eve looked before they sinned, who are walking with the Lord. That is the believer, the one that's been born of God, given new life. And you can see our growth in our love. You can see our growth when we obey God's commands. We don't cheat at work. Why? Because it's inside of us not to. Where before it was inside of us to just bend the truth a bit or kind of do something under the table over here. That's not us anymore. We're the only people getting better. Even when we die physically, we're with the Lord and we'll receive new physical bodies one day. There's eternal life in us right now. What's happening inside of is a preview. What's happening inside of us is a preview of the new earth to come. Life. Life, life. That's kind of why I love the groundbreaking today. Snow, things shut down, things are hard, school canceled, and all those things certainly appropriate. But there's going to be new life happening out up Willow Creek Boulevard later this afternoon. A sign of new life. God's working. It's exciting. We're overcomers. The world is enslaved to sin. We are not anymore. Yes, I know the presence of it's still there. We hate it. When we see him, we'll be like him. But the fact that there's a war now, sign of life. Before, we were just shackled by the enemy, prisoners of war. Now we no longer are. We have the weapons of warfare at our disposal. We have new life in Christ. We are overcomers in that sense. We have to think of ourselves that way. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We believe in the powerful Son of God, the divine one. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We believe that Jesus is not only man born in the flesh. We also believe that he is the divine one. And the divine one came and started healing people when he came, power over disease. The divine one came and started casting out demons, power over spiritual life. The divine one came and called disciples and they came, power over people's hearts. The divine one came and told the sea in a storm, stop, and it stopped, power over the created world. This is the one we believe in, the one with power. So what do we get when we believe in him? Power. We have the ability to obey. We have the ability to love, and you're starting to see that in our lives. That's a great sign.
That should be encouraging us. Faith in Jesus means you've been changed. This is what Paul would often write to the churches. He would talk about how encouraged he is, how thankful he is by their faith and then their love. They believe the right Jesus and they see their brothers and sisters rightly. They care for them. They meet their needs. Colossians 1, 3 to 4, he's thankful for their faith in Jesus and the love they have for all the saints. He does the same thing in first or in Ephesians 1, 15 to 16. He does the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thankful for their faith and thankful for their love. It comes together. So, friend, see the heart of love God's given you. See the desire to obey. Your growth even in obedience. See that and know that you've been born again. See the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ believe the right things about him. See that as a sign you've been born again. I told you about a book uh, that Thomas Brooks wrote. If you're still wanting to think through the doctrine of assurance a little bit more, I would strongly encourage you to read Heaven on Earth. That's what he calls assurance. It, it's like heaven on earth. You, you know, you know. So Thomas Brooks, Heaven on Earth. In Heaven on Earth, he gives this great picture of a believer, someone who believes in Jesus someone who's been shown grace by Jesus, who, who's been given new life in Jesus, but, but they're constantly overcome by their own sin. They're constantly focused on their fail, failures. And he said, it's like having these precious jewels in a house. You have them. Look at that jewel. Look at how it shines in the light. But when you are constantly thinking about your sin and your shortcomings and not good enough, not doing well enough, it's like there's smoke in the house and you can't see the jewels that God has placed there. First John is a book trying, trying to get the smoke out of the room and saying, look at what God's done in you. Know you're not perfect. I know you're not perfect. Deal with that in the letter. But see the jewels that are there. See your love for others. See your belief in Jesus. See your desire to obey the commandments of God. So, friend, see the heart and love and obedience God has given you. And remember who you've been made to be. You are one of the only people on the planet. You're among the only group of people on the planet who are actually able to be righteous to walk in newness of life. You've been given the Holy Spirit's power. You're, the, you're, you're part of the only group that's been given that. Use that. Trust that. Be thankful for the resources at your disposal. There's a second summarized reason you can know you're a child of God. That's found in verses 6 through 12. Faith in Jesus means you've received God's testimony. Your faith in Jesus means you've received what God the Father has said for you to believe in. Now again, in our, in our pluralistic age, where it's kind of like everybody's faith is subjective, you believe in Buddha, I believe in Jesus, you believe in science, I believe in Jesus, whatever it may be, there's this attitude that as long as you believe in something, you're good. Bible doesn't teach that. Bible says, unless you believe in Jesus Christ, for salvation and nothing else, you will not have eternal life. You must believe in him. So Christians are ones who've believed in him and that is a sign that they've believed in the only savior that God's given. They're right with God. God didn't say, I'm giving you many to choose from. I'm giving you this one. What will you do with him? I believe in him. Great, you've received what I've given you. And when you believe in Jesus, that should encourage your heart. You believe in who God's given you. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. What are we talking about here? Good question. A lot of debate about this verse. Okay. Augustine says the water and the blood, it's, it's believing in the death of Jesus because when they pierced his side, water and blood came out. Okay, that's one thought. Water, baptism. I believe in the water and the blood. I believe in Jesus and what he did right away in his earthly ministry. He's baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And then blood, he dies. I believe in all that he came to do. 
Okay, I get it. Some Christians think that. I think it's what a third option, and I'm not alone in this. I believe it's waters talking about physical birth. You're birthed through water, your mother's water, physical birth, and then the blood being the death of Jesus. Why do I believe that? Because that's what John's been focused on throughout the letter. Jesus came as a man. In John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter 3, he links this idea of being born through water, as the, he connects it to physical birth. So John does that in John chapter 3. I think he's doing the same thing here. Born in water, he was born in the flesh, and the blood of Jesus, his sacrificial death for us, that's something that we hold on to. So he's born in the flesh, which the departed people did not teach. He only appeared to be human. No, no, no. He was human. He was born of water, and he bled. He died for our sins. Real human, real death on our account. That's what we hold on to. This is the one who came by water, born in the flesh, and blood. He died for, he died for us, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by water and the blood. He wasn't just a man. He's a man who died for us, died for our sins. He was a perfect substitute for us as a man. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So you believe the right things about Jesus. The Spirit takes that, takes your heart, psh, unites the two. The right things about Jesus. He was born a man, died for our sins. The Spirit takes that, takes your heart, unites them. And so you say, I believe in that Jesus. That's a great sign. That's a great sign. Because it shows that God has given you truth and he's wed that truth to your heart. What a privilege to believe the truth about Jesus, right? What a privilege to believe the truth about Jesus because Jesus is the only Savior God gave. What a privilege to have the Spirit unite that truth to our hearts. Verse 7, there are three that testify. You know this about first century law, not just first century law, but you know this, there are witnesses required. You, you claim that there's a truth. We need two or three witnesses. We've got the three for you. Born as a man, died for our sins, and the Holy Spirit took that, brought that to our heart. There we go. Case closed. You're a child of God. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, verse 9, the testimony of God is greater. There's a lot of people telling you a lot of spiritual truth. The testimony of men. Some of you are studying the Gospel of John and Bible studies. John 7 and 8. These questions about what the religious leaders of the day say about Jesus and what God says about Jesus, God the Father. Who do you believe? We receive the testimony of men. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. So, so, so you listen to some people and what they say about Jesus. Listen to what God says about Jesus. Go there. Listen to him. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar. God has made God a liar. So this is what it's saying. Okay. God the Father looked out on a sin-cursed world and offered it a savior. Why? Because that's who God is. He is a savior by nature. He is good by nature. He is love by nature. God is love, said two times in 1 John chapter 4. That is who he is, and love gives. He looked at the world, saw the corruption, saw your corruption, saw my corruption, and said, here's my son. Take his righteousness. Let him take your sin. Let him die, rise again in your place, give you hope for eternal life. I'm giving that to you. That is my testimony. The word testimony is used over and over and over again just in 6 through 12. This is my testimony, says God the Father. Take my son. I put him before you. He came in the flesh. He died for your sins. Take my son. Receive my son. If you don't listen to God and say, I'm going to find my eternal satisfaction and joy 
some other way. You're making a liar out of God because you're saying, I can find it some other way. No, you can't. He gave you the only way. So, so get how this brings us assurance. When you believe in Jesus for your salvation, you're believing God. And that, that is something that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. That should cause you to say, I've been changed, my mind's been changed by the power of God. Praise the Lord. I believe in the only Savior that he gave. That's, what's John, that's what John's trying to encourage you with. Again, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. It's been united to your heart. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in, take your pick, whoever you want. No, no, this life is only in his Son. God has made a way of salvation. It's in his Son. When you believe that, he's, you've got that testimony inside of you. You believe it from the heart. There's no other way to find eternal happiness, no other way to find joy, no other way to find peace with God than through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus would tell the religious leaders in John 7 and 8, where I'm going, you can't come. Because he's going to the Father and the Father sent him. So if you want to get to the Father, you go through Jesus. You don't want to go through Jesus. They did not want to go through Jesus. They did not believe the right things about Jesus. They wanted to go around Jesus to the Father. Where I'm going, you can't come. You can't. And then he gets to the upper room. Chapter 13 of John is the turning point. He starts focusing in on his own, his disciples who have believed in him. And he says, I'm going away. And Philip says, where are you going? How do I get there? And Jesus tells him, I won't leave you as orphans. And he tells them that he will bring them to the Father. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So hear Jesus say that about himself, but hear God say that I'm sending my son. You want to be right with me, I'm sending him to you so that you embrace him and I bring you home to me. I adopt you as my child. He is the Son of God, and you are now one of my sons. To say, nah, I, I don't believe in Jesus, is to make God a liar. He hasn't offered multiple ways of salvation. He's offered one, and it's a glorious one, and God is good to offer him. This is the testimony that God's given us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son, eternal life. Life that changes you from the inside out now. Life that when you see him one day, you'll be made perfectly like him. That's life. Again, we've been going in human history down the corruption tube, down the drain of corruption, but God gives eternal life. We now love like God loves. We now obey like Jesus obeyed. We now have hopes, desires. We, we are new people. The new heavens, the new earth, a place where no sin is, only life, which means then only joy, only peace, that is what we receive. You don't believe in Jesus, you have the opposite of that condemnation because you've rejected the gracious Father and the gracious Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So believer, you've believed the expert testimony God's the expert witness. I have a friend who's a forensic accountant. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yeah. A forensic accountant. He will go and track down the movement of money, and he'll testify in court. Yes, they moved that money from here to there illegally. This is what we found. And my friend is very good at this. He's well known for this. So when he's on the stand, if I could counsel the jury, I'd say, you should listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. It's been proven in his field that he knows what he's talking about. When he says the money went from here to there to here to there to here to there, 
He knows what he's doing. That's why he's called as an expert witness. Believe him, jury. Now, my friend's also not infallible. He's not perfect. God is perfect. All wise has given his son for salvation. And he didn't just give his son, he announced his son. This is my son. Listen to him. Which also means this is my son. Listen to me about my son. So it's incumbent upon us to believe God by believing in Jesus. If you haven't done that, you wander in here on a snowy morning. <laughs> the greatest thing you can do in your life is to believe the Creator, the only Creator of heaven and earth, the only God who is in control of the whole earth. Believe that He has graciously given His Son. Believe God the Father and believe that God the Son is your Savior. Believe in Him. Believe God. He knows what He's doing. He is truth. He is right. And He's been gracious to give us His Son, Jesus Christ. If you do have questions, I, I want to know more about Jesus. You're telling me to believe in Jesus for my eternal life, salvation. I have questions about that. I'm glad you have questions about that. That's why the New Testament was written. That's why the whole Bible was written. But the New Testament is the, the witness about Jesus of Nazareth and how He is the Son of God and how you can have life in His name. I would invite you to read the Gospel of John. We're reading the first letter of John. Earlier in the Bible is the Gospel of John, the announcement of John, Jesus' close friend, about who Jesus is as the Son of God. I have a couple copies of the Gospel of John with me this morning. I'd love to give that to you. If you're unsure exactly about what the Bible says about Jesus, who is He, what did He claim, what's God saying here, you're saying I need to believe in Him for eternal life, tell me more about him, please come and get one of these from me. And I'd love to, to connect you with someone who'd read this with you and help make sense of it to you as well. Please, I'm literally begging you, please come and talk to me this morning after the service if you want to know more about this idea of Jesus being the only Savior. Who exactly is he? What do he do? What's he like? Please. But for you, Christian believer, let your heart do one of these numbers. based on the truth that He has taken His divine Son, His Son born as a man, His Son born to take the curse in your behalf, on your behalf, and He has taken that truth and united it, to, united it to your heart to where you said, I believe in Him for my eternal life. I hold on to Him for my salvation. God has done that in you. That is a sign of life. You're a child of God. Let your heart be at rest. Receive the testimony from God again because you have before. Keep believing what God has done. I think this is a great time to read the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is now our tradition here. I think this is the third year we've done this on the first Sunday of the year. A couple years ago, we read through the whole catechism every Sunday, read through a portion. But the first question of the catechism is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? What a fitting question based on our text this morning. And in the answer, you're going to hear themes like we've heard in 1 John, life and death, Jesus' precious blood, the fact that He's set us free, the fact that He's our Savior, the fact that we have been set free from the tyranny of the devil and the fact that we're assured of eternal life. All of those are given in the first answer to that question. What is your only comfort in life and death? So as I read this, just ponder what I read and take this to heart. What's your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. 
and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. Father, the fact that 1 John exists and we have it is a sign that you're not just a loving father, but you want us to know that you are our loving father. We thank you that this is true of you. We thank you that this is the God we serve. You're a God that doesn't want us unsure of where we stand with you. You want your children in your lap, as it were, assured of the security they have with you. Father, we praise you for that. We praise you for this book. You're so good to give it to us. So give our hearts rest, knowing that you've given us faith to believe in your son rightly, the real Jesus, who he actually is. You've allowed us to believe that. Give us Give us encouragement and assurance because you have changed us. We aren't like what we want to be, but we are different than we were. We do have new life. Thank you. Assure us of that. Remind us of the jewels, the evidences of grace in our life. Father, help this church. Help us to remind one another of where we see God's work in our life. That is so encouraging. Give us opportunities to highlight that in one another's life. And Father, if there are those who do not believe that your son is the only way to salvation, who have not been converted and changed and have not brought their sin before you in repentance and belief, would you make today, the first Sunday of the year, a new day, a new sign of life, a new evidence of life? Give them new birth, we pray. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.